0: Now open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Judges, okay? Judges, we're in our fifth message on a series on Samson, okay? And again, I never thought it would go this far, and we're not done yet. So uh, we've got several more messages. I I want you to read three verses or four verses of Scripture with me. First of all, I want you to go to Judges chapter 14, all right? Judges chapter 14 and look with me in verse number 6. Judges 14 verse 6. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he rent him as he would rend the kid and he had nothing in his hand but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. Now this is the story this segment of when Samson kills the young lion now go with me to chapter 19. Samson goes down to Ashkelon because he has a debt that he owes. Verse number 19. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon, and slew thirty men of them, and took their spoil, and gave change of garments unto them, which expounded the riddle. And his anger was kindled, and he went to his father's house. But Samson's wife was given to his companion, whom he had used as his friend. Now go with me to chapter 15. Chapter 15. And Samson has been turned over by the men of Judah to the Philistines on the hill. And in verse 14 it says, And when he came unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him, And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire, and his bands loosened from off his hands. And he found a new jawbone of an ass and put forth his hand and took it and slew a thousand men therewith. Let's pray. Father, I just ask today that you would open our hearts Open our minds, open our eyes to what you would have us see, and God, will be grateful to you. We, I know I certainly need your help this morning in, in, in trying to um, dissect this scripture that can be so confusing to us. So give us that which we have need of, and we'll thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray these things, Amen. Now, I want to say from the very outset of this message this morning, that what I'm going to say to you is going to probably go against the grain of everything that you have ever heard from this text before, okay? I just want you to know that. In fact, it's going to go so much against the grain that I'm just going to be honest with you and admit to you that that you're going to have a little problem probably processing this And you may even leave this place in disagreement with what I say. And I want you to know that it's certainly okay for us to disagree, all right? You have a right to be wrong. And so I give you, I grant that to you. And and so it's all right, sometimes we fall out on different sides of an issue. So this is, I I just want to say, I want to admit up front that I know, I know this is going to be a little different perspective of, of how you've looked at this, and it may cause you to struggle a little bit with what I 'm saying now, I want you to know that, that this is not an attempt by me to be controversial i 'm not trying to present something that makes your eyebrows raise or you to say, whoa i 've never heard that before in my life i 'm not trying to be controversial whatsoever i'm not trying to throw you a theological curveball okay that's not that's not my intent. My goal is to simply examine the life of Samson in light of the scriptures and to learn the lessons that God would have us apply to our lives today. So when we read about Samson, he was the strong man in the Bible. And we sit in stunned silence as, as this guy uh, does things that almost align him with being a Marvel superhero. I mean, nobody else in the Bible does what Samson does. And, He's an iconic individual, especially going back to the old flannel graph days and the early Sunday school lessons and everything about Samson is this guy that's ripped and he's got abs and dude, he's been in the gym and I mean, you know, you're wondering is he on steroids or not and you just look at him and wonder what his supplements are, what's his workout program, this guy is really somebody. I mean, you think about the fact that he picks up the jawbone of a jackass and weaponizes it and with that one singular weapon he kills a thousand men. You think about the fact that he catches three hundred foxes and ties their tails together with a firebrand and sets it on fire and sets it loose into the, uh, the, the, the crops of the Philistines. You think about a guy literally that picks up the city gates and carries them. All the way to a hill above Hebron, which is 40 miles. That's not normal. That's not natural. And people that looked at him didn't say, he's ripped. People that looked at him and said, Oh, I know how he does it. Look at him. I mean, he's the forerunner of, of Arnold Schwarzenegger. No, 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 no. They wondered, how can he do that? It, it, I don't believe that this guy, I don't believe that this guy would have made the cover of Muscle magazine. I believe that, that, that he was much like every other guy. I'm not saying that, 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 that he had no physique. I'm just simply saying that's not where his strength was. And yet the reality is that his struggles, we're all too familiar with them, aren't we? I mean, don't we? We, we do know. We do know the struggles that Samson had because, because perhaps in a lesser sense... And, 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 and perhaps on a far more obscure stage, there are battles also. I mean, while he, while he battled out his own self-absorption, while he fought the battle of Samson against Samson, the reality is he, he waged that war on center stage for all the world to see and, and for sacred history to record. And like Samson, we are our own worst enemy, but in our battle, our battle with self, it's often waged in the shadows behind the curtain of our secret life. People don't get to see us, thankfully, like they see Samson. But we are at war with ourselves. And our greatest enemy is the person that looks back at us from the mirror. And we have problems with no one as much as we have problems with ourselves. Now, I want to lay some groundwork as we move through this. And the first thing that's very necessary this morning is for you and I to discuss the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, okay? Because that's where our setting is at. We're not, we're not New Testament. We're not Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John right now. We're back in the book of Judges. And so in order to understand some things that, that are going on, we have, to, we have to understand what was the ministry of the Holy Spirit then and how does it differ from his ministry now? In the Old Testament the Holy Spirit came upon people and anointed them for certain tasks. When David became king he was anointed. Interesting thing about David and Saul is that Saul was anointed with a cruise of oil, meaning simply that his anointing was temporary. It was something that could be broken. David's anointing was with a horn of oil, unbreakable and so his, his anointing, his, his office of kingship lasted forever. Jesus said, I'll sit upon the throne of David. And so that, that's a typology that's given in the scripture. But in, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon somebody, would empower them to do a job that God had for them, but the Holy Spirit did not live in them. He did not indwell them, okay? He would come on them, empower them, and then he would withdraw from them. Doesn't mean that they weren't connected to God. It just means that they weren't at that time empowered by the Spirit. That's why David prayed in Psalm chapter 51, verse number 11, after his sin with Bathsheba, David's prayer was this, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Well, nobody prays that in the New Testament. I don't pray, take not Thy Lord, I failed you, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. No, no, no. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so there's no... Indi- Jesus said, I'll never what? Leave you nor forsake you. And, and, and so there's no possibility of that. He promised, D- Jesus did. In John chapter 14, this is the prayer of... Je- Listen to the promise of Jesus. Listen to this. John chapter 14, verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth... Whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him; but ye know him. Listen to this: for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. So when you get saved, when I've I gave my testimony this morning, a little bit when I was a twelve-year-old boy, and I bowed my head and asked Jesus Christ in my heart, though I didn't know what was going on, the Holy Spirit of God took up His abode inside of me, because I, at that moment, became the temple of God. I am a living flesh temple that the Spirit of God lives in me. That means everywhere I go, everything I do, the Holy Spirit is within me. That's why I get convicted if I'm going to do something wrong, okay, you know, because the Spirit of God is within me. He lives within me. If you cut me off in traffic and I want to honk my horn and the Holy Spirit's in me, he says, don't do that. Don't, don't honk at him. That's Ron Steele. And so he lets me know that's Ron. And so I don't honk at Ron, And and this the Holy Spirit living in me that keeps me. So the Holy Spirit indwells, he indwells believers, okay? Now, watch me. He he began his indwelling ministry on the day of Pentecost. You can read about that in Acts chapter 2. That's when the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit began. He wrote to the church, Paul did it in in Corinth in chapter 6, verse 19. What? Know ye not? He's incredulous. What? Know ye not? That your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. So Paul said this, hey guys, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You can't do those things. You shouldn't go those places. No, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He then wrote to the church at Ephesus in chapter 1, verse 13, in whom also ye trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So, so here's what happens. When, when I was a 12-year-old boy and I trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit took up His abode in me and He sealed me. What does that mean? That means I'm His. That means I, I belong. His, His mark of ownership is in me. And there's many ways that sealing is done. It just simply means you can't lose what God gave you. And so... They used to take a signet ring and they would pour wax on an envelope and they would press that ring in it. That was the seal of the king. That means this is my property. This carries my authority. So when Dean got saved at the age of 12, God the Holy Spirit sealed me. I'm God's. I was 12 when I got saved. I'm 66 today and I've been his ever since. Why? Because on that day I got sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. His ownership is on me and in me and, and, and one-third of the Godhead lives in my heart. You See, that's important. Now chapter 4 uh, verse 30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God the book of Ephesians, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. So how long am I sealed? Until Jesus comes back for me. Okay, Do I have to worry about it tomorrow? No. I have to worry about it next week? No. So how long am I sealed? Until the day of redemption. So that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's different in the Old Testament when he came upon people and empowered them to do certain things and then withdrew, and today where he doesn't come upon us uh, to do certain things, he lives inside of us. If you're saved today, if you know Christ as your Savior, let me tell you this. The Holy Spirit of God lives within you. He is the gift of God in your life. He is the, he, he's called the earnest of your salvation. He sealed you until the day of redemption, saying simply this, you're mine and I'm coming back for you. Okay, That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is important. Okay, I'm moving you to a place, so stay with me. All right, Get your seatbelts on and just stay with me for a moment. Samson, point number two, I want you to remember, is that Samson was familiar with the Spirit's work. Okay, Samson knew. Look with me in chapter number 13. All right, everybody there? Judges chapter 13, look at it. Verse 25. Now, keep your your hand here. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to show you something else. Look at verse 25. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtil. Now, remember we studied this last week. And we, we, came, we did a word study, all right? Remember this, remember this, that the Hebrew language has 8,000 words in it, so they're very crowded words, okay? We can say something, and it pretty well has a definitive meaning, but sometimes there's a crowd, you have to do a word study to find out exactly where our, our root goes to, okay? That word move, if you do a root study on that, it, it literally means to disturb or to thrust are to push, to agitate, or to compel. Okay, so 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 here is uh, here is here is Samson. Okay, and and God's called him. God has called him um, to to be a Nazarite and to be a judge over Israel. But now we find the Spirit of God having to push him. What does that mean? That means he was reluctant. Okay, he was reluctant to do. What God wanted him to do. Canyon, come here for a moment. Would you bring your Bible? And put your Bible down right there. No, yeah, right on the front row there. Now, you're sitting with your mom. I shouldn't have broke that up. I'm sorry. But anyhow, come here. I just want you to, want you to help me today. Would you do that? Ladies and gentlemen, Canyon, give him a hand. Thank you, brother. All right, now watch. So, so here's the deal. Now, if, if I'm walking with Canyon, there's, there's, there's no pushing. We're side by side. We're just we're going in this direction together. Now watch, but if I want Canyon to cross this line and Canyon is reluctant to do so, and I'm the Spirit of God and he is Samson, and he's closer to Samson than I am, by the way. It's, anyhow, okay. So what I've got to do, I've got to do is I've got to, I've got to, got to come on, come on, Samson, come. On. I'm agitating him. So when the when the Bible says the Spirit of God began to move him. It meant this guy didn't want to go where the Spirit of God was leading him, so he's reluctant, so the Holy Spirit has to work in his life to force him to do what God wants him to do. Thank you, Canyon. I'll have you back in just a moment. Now, so, so you can take your Bible with you too, Canyon. All right, so now watch me. Everybody look at me. Watch me. So how did Samson respond to the Holy Spirit pushing him? Look in chapter 14, verse 1. And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Really? So here's the Holy Spirit. Come on, Samson. Come on, Sam. No, no, Samson. No. This is, what, this is God's call. This is what God- so the Holy Spirit of God is thrusting him, moving him, compelling him. But what does Samson do? Chapter 14, verse 1. He turns from that away and he goes that away. he heads for the city of the Philistines, Timnath, which is his jumping-off place into the world. He's going to go to a lot of other cities before this narrative is over. But the jumping-off place for Samson into the world and into sin and into lust and into carnality, that was Timnath. So Samson, Samson hightails it to Timnath. So Samson knows what it's like to have the Holy Spirit work inside of him, convicting, moving, disturbing. Push him, pointing, trying to get him to do the right thing. But Samson did his own thing anyway. Now, I want you to go with me to Numbers chapter six. Okay? Everybody turn to Numbers chapter six. You're using your Bible today. All right, Numbers chapter number six. Now, I want you to remember. I want you to remember that. The parents of Samson were told that he would be a Nazarite from his mother's womb until his death. Is that right? Not at me. Is that right? Everybody? Okay, thank both of you. Appreciate that. Two heads nodding. All right, I love it. Okay, so, so here's the deal. From, from his womb, from the mother's womb until his death, God said this. You haven't chosen this. This isn't voluntary. I have chosen you. You're going to be a Nazarite all your life. So now we gotta find out what the Nazarite vow is. All right, so let's go to Numbers chapter six. The Lord spake unto Moses, verse one, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, when either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow uh, of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord, (coughs) excuse me, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. "...and shall drink no vinegar of wine, nor vinegar of strong drink, neither shall he eat any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes, or dried. All the days of his separation that he shall eat, uh, shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husk." Now look at me. Requirement number one. You can write out beside that if you want to, if you mark in your Bible. Requirement number one of a Nazarite. Nothing from the vineyard. Okay? Kathleen? Keep your jams and jellies at home. Do not give them to Samson, okay? He can't eat them. Why? That comes from a vineyard. He can't drink grape juice. Can't have any wine. He can't eat grapes. He can't have jam on his toast in the morning. He can't do any of that. It's forbidden. Number one thing, stay away from the vine. Stay away from the vineyard, okay? Well, why? Because God said so. All right, now, look with me me in in verse 5. All the days of his vow of his separation, shall there no razor come upon his head until the days be fulfilled in the which he separateth himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy and shall let the locks of, uh, of the hairs of his head grow all the days that he separateth himself uh, unto the Lord. He shall come at no dead body. So verse 5 is the second thing, and that is don't cut your hair. Don't eat anything of the vine, number one. Number two, don't cut your hair, Okay. All right? Everybody with me? Nod your head. Okay. Now, people say, th- we know Jesus had long hair. Why? Because he was a Nazarite. No, he wasn't. He was a Nazarene. That means that's where he came from. Get your Bible straight, okay? That's, that, don't, don't get weird with twisting stuff. So, so two th- first, of all, first of all, he couldn't eat anything from the vine. Second of all, he couldn't cut his hair. Okay, here's the third and final requirement, uh, number six. All the days that he separateth himself of the Lord, he shall come at what? Okay, let's read that again, because some of you are, are, it's verse 6, here it is. All the days that he separateth himself unto the Lord, he shall come at what? No dead, body. no dead body. Okay, that's number three. All the days of his life, he shall come at no dead body. Don't get around dead bodies. That's pretty easy to figure out, isn't it? No, 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 nothing from the vine. Don't cut your hair. Okay, don't cut your hair. Number three, no dead bodies. Well, what if my daddy dies? Okay, let's read verse 7. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or his mother, for his brother or for his sister when they die, because the consecration of his God is upon him. All the days of his separation, he is holy unto the Lord. Okay, but wait a minute now. All right, Okay, so I, I can't go to the funeral of my mom, my dad, brother, sister. But what if somebody dies near me suddenly? Okay, let's look at verse number 9. And if any man die very suddenly by him, he hath defiled his head of his consecration. Then shall he shave his head in the day of his cleansing. And on the seventh day shall he shave it. Now, you can read on down there through verse number 21. And it, it develops that. Now watch me. Everybody watch me. Listen to me. So here's what he's saying. Don't, don't, don't touch anything from the vine. Do not shave your head. Number three, don't go near a dead body. But, but, Okay, I make a six-month Nazarite vow and my daddy dies. Can't go to his funeral. Well, my baby sister can't go to his funeral. Why? Because you made a vow to God. All right? And that's more serious than any of those responsibilities. What if I'm walking around and somebody falls over right beside me? You know? Well, what do I do? Well, you've you got to start all over. You shave your head you got to go back. You've got to offer a sacrifice. You start your Nazarite vow over, all over again. Why? Because you have broken your vow and you can't come near a dead body. Now, that's not hard to figure out. Three things. You have to do those three things if you're making a Nazarite vow unto God. That's not difficult. It's not rocket science. God puts black ink on white paper. There it is. Now, this is what I want to talk to you next. Okay? Let me... L- l- let me th- talk with you for just a moment because I think this is important about about Samson's strength. Let me say this to you. Samson's gift was his strength. Okay? Let that soak for just a second. God gave Samson a gift. It was his strength. That gift was constant. It was always with him. It was always there. The only thing... By the way, all Nazarites weren't strong like this because that wasn't their gift. That was Samson's. He had a Nazarite vow, but he had a God gift that was strength. Listen to me. The only thing that would break that strength was if he cut his hair. Well, why is that? Well, the hair was an identity. He tried to hide in Timnath, he tried to hide everywhere he went, he went down to Gaza. Nobody's going to know me. No, everybody knows you, dude. you got locks of hair. You're a Nazirite. Nobody wore their hair like that in those days. Everybody can look at you. you got a Nazirite vow. That's why he hopped from place to place, because he was ruining ruining his testimony everywhere he went, because he was identifiable by his hair. So if you cut your hair, all of a sudden, you've cut your identity with God. So Samson didn't get his strength. Look at me. Samson didn't get his strength when the Holy Spirit came on him. That's not what happened. His strength was a constant gift that he had all the time. Let me show you chapter 13. Everybody with me? Here's the angel speaking to his parents. Chapter 13, verse 5. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son... This is Judges 13, 5. Thou shalt conceive and bear a son. And what's the next phrase? And no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite. Don't cut his hair. Chapter 16, verse 17. He's with Delilah. Delilah. Okay, so he's with Delilah. All right? And she is tempting him. All right? Now what happens? Watch this. Verse 17, then he told her all his heart. Now listen to what Samson says. He told her all his heart and he said, There hath not a razor come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will be gone from me, and I will become weak and like any other man. He didn't say if the Spirit of God doesn't come on me. His strength was constant. He said if you cut my hair... Don't ask me to explain that. All I can tell you is this. Samson knew where his strength came from. His strength came from God, but the symbol of it was his hair. As long as he had his hair, he did a lot of bad things from chapter 14, 15, into chapter 16. But he still had his strength. he, He visited a harlot in Gaza, chapter 16, verse 1, but he still had his strength. But when he cut his hair, it was gone. All right, now let's go. Let's go. Let's go to chapter sixteen. He's in the temple, and they put him between the two pillars. All right. Here's Samson. His eyes are gouged out. He's between the two pillars. He's going to push upon them. How did he push upon them? The Spirit came upon him. Nope, doesn't say that. You won't find that in the Bible. The only thing it says is that his hair started growing again. Look with me in, in chapter uh, uh, 16, verse 21. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass and he did grind in the prison house. Howbeit, The hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. So his strength was connected to the outward identification of his unshaven head of the Nazarite vow. Now, I want you to look at me. Look at me. Three times and three times only out of the ten feats that Samson did, only three times does it say the Spirit of God came upon him. Only three times. It never says it when he picked the gates up. So if it was the Spirit of God that came on to give him strength, would you tell me how he carried gates 40 miles? I mean, come on. Spider-Man couldn't have done that. I mean, come on, think, think, think with it. I mean, so, so if it's the Spirit of God, then how does he do that? No, his strength was a constant gift. It was with him all the time, continually. When his hair was there, he had his strength. When his hair was gone, his strength was gone. And I understand there's no strength in hair, but it's what his hair represented. When Delilah had his hair cut, the Bible doesn't say the Spirit of God departed from him. It says, and the Lord left him. God removed his hand off of him. So I understand the power came from God, but I'm just simply saying that it wasn't the Spirit of God moving in on him that helped him carry those gates. It was the gift that God gave him long time earlier to be the strongest man on earth. Now, I said this this morning in Sunday school. So I want to talk with you now about Samson and the Holy Spirit. Okay? Everybody with me? All right, here's where you're going to look at me sideways. So just stay with me. All right? In fact, you might want to tilt your head. Go ahead and tilt your head. All right, so here it is. The Holy Spirit's not a mist. I said that this morning in Sunday school. It's not something that just drifts around. Somebody says, boy, the Holy Ghost got on them. Really? Yeah, they were barking like a dog. What? Holy Spirit doesn't do that. That's ridiculous. In fact, I've talked with missionaries in Haiti where people say, you know, there's, there's all sorts of people are acting like animals. You know what they say? That's a sign of the occult. In places like Toronto, Canada, you have Christian churches where people are crowing and gobbling like turkeys and growling like lions and having animal-like characteristics. And they're saying the Holy Spirit does. No, that's not what the Holy Spirit does. Look at me. The Holy Spirit is God. He is a person. Everything the Holy Spirit does, He he does intentionally, okay? He's deliberate in His actions and in His ministry. Now, so what we have to do now is we have to examine exactly what it was that, the Holy, that, that Samson was doing when the Holy Spirit came upon him. Okay, so, so, okay, the Holy Spirit came on him and he did something on you. Well, what, 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 what did he do? After the Spirit of God came on him, what did he do? All right, let's look at the three instances. Chapter 14, verse 6, we read that, remember? All right, chapter 14, verse 6, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he, and he killed a lion, he rent him as he would, a young lion, rent him as he would a kid. He had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father and his mother. Now look at me. Everybody look at me. Listen to me. What was the Nazarite vow? All the days of his life, he could come at no dead body. I mean, am I, am I right? Okay, all right. I, just, I wondered. All right, look at verse 19. And the spirit of the, chapter forty verse ninety. And the spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went down to Ascalon, and he slew thirty men of them, and took their spoil. Wow! So we got a dead lion near Samson. Now we've got thirty dead men near Samson, and he's stripping the clothes off of them because of the fact because of the fact that 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 he had a a, a gamble he made back at a party. And he's got to pay that. So now there's one dead lion and 30 dead men. All right, let's look at the the third and last time. Uh, In chapter 15, verse 14 and 15, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. He broke the cords with his hands, grabbed the jawbone of an ass and killed a thousand men. Okay, so so what we have now, what we have, this is what the Spirit of God did for him. The Spirit of God empowered him to kill a lion, And a a thousand and thirty men. Okay. Now. That's disturbing. Because that means. That in each of these situations. The spirit of God empowered him to do something. That the word of God. Commanded him not to do. Okay. So that, that. That bothers me. So I started studying this. I've spent two weeks just eating everything I can, just reading my Bible, reading my Bible, praying, getting out alone, praying, studying. Some of the stuff I've read, Ernie, is the most f- ridiculous stuff I've ever read in my life. Samson is a type of Christ that found his bride among sinful people. Are you kidding me? Samson's a type of Christ? I think it's not. Uh, no, that, no, that's a stretch. I understand, I understand the analogy there, but I don't buy that. I don't, I don't, of all people in the Bible, the self-willed Samson is not a type of Christ to me whatsoever. Joseph, yes. Samson, no. So here, here is a man that has killed 1,030 people at this point when the Spirit of God comes upon him and has been around the body of a dead lion, and even goes back and gets again visits the body and takes honey out of it. So, I wondered what was going on here, and I studied the word upon. The the Spirit came upon Samson. And that word upon has multiple meanings to it, okay? It can mean empower, it means a very positive that he's in there with him, but it also carries a meaning of against or between, okay? So, the Spirit of God came upon him. Meaning that it came to help him and empower him do what he just did, or it means, come here, uh, would you one more time, Canyon? You can leave your Bible there. I won't pull you too far. So, so, so watch this. So, so here's Canyon. Canyon is Samson again. I want to do the part of the Spirit of God. And so here, here's the Holy Spirit of God. Here's Samson. That's, you, you're doing it better. So there's 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 the men he's going to slay, and the Holy Spirit comes and says, "Let's get them." Well, wait a minute. There's a thousand of them going to be dead. There's going to be a thousand of them dead, and a thousand times he breaks his vow. So he empowers him to kill the lion. Okay, there's a dead lion, and here's a here's a guy that broke his vow. Study the word feast, because the feast that Samson was in at his wedding. That word feast carries with it, it's not, it's not a question. It carries with it the explicit understanding that it was a drinking party. Okay, this isn't a word that says, well, they went out, no, no. These guys, this, they were drinking. Okay. So at a drinking party where drunkenness is occurring, Samson tells a riddle, and, and it's a bit of a gamble because there's, 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 there's money involved in this, clothing involved in this, wealth involved in this. And, and, and Samson tells a riddle, and they can't guess it. He tells his wife, they tempt his wife, his wife tells. So Samson loses the riddle of the drunken party. So what does Samson do? He's in Timnath. He travels 25 miles to Ashtaroth. 25 five miles to another city that has nothing to do with Timnas whatsoever. They weren't at the party. And the Spirit of God comes on Samson and says, let's go kill 30 men and strip their clothes off and you can pay the debt you made at the drunken party. I, I just don't, I'm just, I, that bothered me. That, that, that bothers me. So then did the Spirit of God come on Samson to do this? Or did the Spirit come on Samson to get between him and what he was about to do? Okay, thank you. Excellent Samson, I might add. So there's the the quandary that we find ourselves in. And and I want to just tell you this, you know, If if I can do nothing but make you think today, that's good. Okay. You don't have to agree with me on this. But if I make you think today, and you go read this scripture and you dig a little bit and you chew this over a little bit, you might you might find some things that 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 are interesting to you. So so here's my question. Was the Spirit coming to empower him, or was the Spirit coming to did the Spirit come upon him to come between him and breaking his vow? Again and again. So here's my questions. You ready? Question number one. Why would the Spirit of God come upon Samson to empower him to do something he already had the power to do? He carried the gate 40 miles. Samson didn't need the Spirit of God to come on him to do what he did. That was his gift. He was supernaturally endowed. So that's not why the Spirit of God came on him. For whatever reason it did come on him, I don't know. Well, the Spirit of God came on me mightily, preacher. Okay, well, I've had the Spirit of God come on me mightily in conviction to keep me from doing something that was going to be a bad mistake. Okay. Question number two. Why would the Spirit of God empower Samson to kill 30 men simply because he made a gambling debt at a drunken party? Now, you, you, this, 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 and I know how we've looked at it. All, I just read that and said, oh, wow, dude, he killed 30 guys. He's, he's somebody. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Okay, that's fine that Samson did that. But what bothers me is the Spirit of God empowering him to do that. I, I can't, I don't, I can't, I don't know that I can find that. We're not talking about a backyard barbecue. Study that word feast. Number three, why would the Spirit of God empower Samson to break his vow again and again and to disobey God and to do something that was contrary to the Word of God was this is the question we have to answer was the Spirit of God an accomplice in what Samson did to those 30 men to that lion and with that jawbone Okay. remember that Jesus says twice John chapter 15 verse 56 he calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. John chapter 16, verse 13. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. Now, understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit is different in the Old Testament. That is, we already talked about that. But even in the Old Testament, he was not ever the spirit of error. He was always the spirit of truth. Okay. Now, let me close this. Okay. So that you can go out and, and, and talk about me at lunch today. Have you ever? Where did he come up with that? What went wrong? It started early. Started early. When the Spirit of God began to push him in the very next verse, he's going headstrong in the wrong direction. At that moment, he rejected he rejected what the Holy Spirit of God had been guiding him to do, and it became something that he was comfortable with. He got callous to what the Spirit was trying to do in his life, and he did his own thing. You know what Samson lived for? Read it. Just, just, No, no, no. Just chapter 14, 15, and 16. Read those. Read those chapters. You know what he lived for? He lived to get even. Pastor, he lived for the glory of God. He did not. Absolutely did not his last act heavenly father help me because dear God these are thine enemies no God avenge me for boom my eyes they took my eyes I want to kill them all they took my eyes I want to kill every you did this to me read read it read what he did when he burnt the fields I will get even with you you did this now I'm going to do that okay That's what what you're gonna do to me? Okay, let me tell you what I'm gonna do to you. He was always one upping people. It's It's just the way he lived. Well, Pastor, what should he have done? Played Uno on the mountain when thousands of people came? No, no, you know why he was on? He shouldn't have been on the mountain. Well, well, he had to drive, grab the jawbone of the ass and kill the thousand. Yeah, okay, but he shouldn't have been on that hillside. You know why he was on the hillside? Because he went to Timnath. So everything in Samson's life, you flick the first domino and it hits the second, and it just, all the way down the line. Everything in his life's a domino effect. He decided to go to Timnath that led him to the Philistine woman that led him to the forbidden marriage that led him to the drunken party that led him to the funny guy riddle that led him to the betrayal that led him to murder 30 men that led him to his wife being given away that led him to the burning of the crops that led him to the death of his wife and father-in-law that led him to the killing of many more that led him to the men of Judah being in danger that led him to the slaying of a thousand men with the jawbone of an ass that led him to the harlot in Gaza that led him to Delilah that led him to having his hair cut. that led him into God removing his power. That led him to losing his eyesight. That led him to losing his sight. It all started, in my opinion, when Samson ignored the Spirit of God and went to Timnath, chapter 14, verse 1. And every time after that, that the Holy Spirit of God tried to keep him from Breaking his Nazarite vow, it had no effect on him anyhow. He just barged ahead and did what he wanted to do. You cannot, and I've read so much these last two weeks, you you just can't spiritualize it. I can't come up with a typology. Somebody said, well, when he killed the lion and he, the lion was a type of Satan, I'll show you later. No. So, so, so he killed the lion and then he took honey out of it. That means if you defeat the devil, you get the, the sweet joy of victory. And I, I just thought, that's wonderful. It means nothing. Are you kidding me? No. Mm. I think the lion was a warning. Because the lions have been used as warnings from God throughout the Bible now what do we learn here's here's what we learn learn number one let the Holy Spirit guide you we learn number two look at me let him come between you and anything that you've planned and determined to do oh my friend let him let him you may say, well, I want to do this. If the Spirit's getting between you, let the, give the, let, listen, let the Spirit Remember, remember, you remember Paul and them, and, and they were going to go into Macedonia or, or, or they're going to Asia and they, they heard the Macedonian call, and, and the Spirit suffered them not, mean, the Spirit got between them and what they were planning. And what turned out of that? Good turned out of it. So if the Holy Spirit gets in your way. Tip your hat to Him and thank Him for stopping you. Number three, check with God's Word to determine who's in the lead. Now here's the deal. We are emotional people, aren't we? Wow. Okay, man. I lost you a long time ago. No, we're emotional people. All right, all right. So, So sometimes I can get mixed up. I can say, boy, God's leading me. Wait a minute, Dean. God's leading you to do what? Well, God's leading me to... Well, why don't we check that out with the Bible? I've had people come in and say, Pastor, God is leading me. I prayed about this. God's leading me. Well, wait a minute. Let's open the Scripture. Well, I don't want to open the Scripture. No, no, let's open the Scripture. Let's check out what God's led you to do with what the Bible said. Okay? That lets me know whether it's me making the decision or it's truly God leading me in that decision. And then last of all, listen to this, would you please? The Holy Spirit of God will never, ever, never, ever, never lead you contrary to the Word of God. Now, here's my closing statement with that in mind, what in mind? That the Holy Spirit will never, ever, ever, never lead you contrary to the Word of God. Then it was either all right for Samson to break his Nazarite vow, or the Holy Spirit didn't lead him to do so. You say, preacher, I don't quite fall out with you on that. I don't line up with you on that. That's all right. That's okay. I mean, I, look, I swallowed 47 times thinking about this. And I, I'll be honest with you. For two weeks, man, I wrestled. I wrestled with this. But that one truth, when I kept going back and reading the vow and studying what the Spirit did, I, 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 can't, I can't say that the Holy Spirit empowered him to kill those 30 men and to break his vow over and over again. He was a Nazarite from his youth. Now, here's the wonderful thing about it. I'm thankful for God who will get in my way. Aren't you? Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit of God will come down? And, and I, I mean, I know He lives inside of you, but He'll, 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 he'll push back. I'm, I'm grateful for the pushback of God. Don't raise your hand, but I'll raise mine. How many, how many of you have ever had God push back on your plan? Well, I have. I wouldn't be here today if God hadn't pushed back on my plans. Okay. But he loved Dean enough to say, you know what, I'm going to get in between you and where you're headed, because that ain't the best place. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you if you'll listen to me. And I've never regretted that I did. Let's bow our heads, could we? Let's bow nice clothes. A little bit of a difficult message today. Because it goes against the grain. And I, you know me. I, I don't, I'm not one that, that... I don't ever claim that I got a corner on the truth. Or I saw something nobody else has ever seen. That, I don't believe that. There's other people who seen this. But I believe God's Spirit is active in our life. And he's not empowering us to disobey God. He's going to empower us to obey God. And look at me. If if you'll stay away from Timnath, you'll never be on the hill. You'll never be on the hill. Well, Pastor, it said that The Lord was, yeah, I know the Lord was in it, but it doesn't mean that the Lord caused him to do wrong. It means that the Lord can take everything we've got. Everything we do, God can turn good out of bad. I knew his parents didn't know that it was of the Lord that that God was going to use all of this. I understand that. But I don't think it's ever God's will to break God's will. That's the key. You have to look at it in that light. Never God's will to break God's will. Always God's will to do God's will. Right where you are, why don't you just thank God for the times He has stopped you from going in a direction that you were headed. Father, thank you today for the life of Samson. We're grateful for the gift of his life because we learn so many things from from it, Lord. I thank you, dear Father, that you love us enough to get in our way. You've gotten in my way before, and I'm eternally grateful. Bless, Lord, I pray this week as we serve you. Help us to be sensitive to what thy Spirit is saying and doing in our life. In Jesus' name.